We love serving up bonus treats on our podcast channel. These provide an opportunity to hear from some of the amazing and diverse Jesus-centered voices that are part of our growing Jesus Collective community. We recently partnered with the Meeting House Church to host a three-week teaching series called On Earth as in Heaven, featuring a stellar collection of speakers and guests. On this episode, we'll hear from pastor and Jesus Collective partner, Hank Johnson, and special guest, Greg Boyd, who kicked off this series teaching about the radically diverse and inclusive nature of the kingdom of God and how centering on Jesus inspires us to live a radical life of love today on earth as in heaven. Enjoy. Welcome, friends, to the start of what is a three-week Jesus Collective Partnership teaching series as Earth as in Heaven. And we are excited to do this together today. Uh, this morning, we are hearing from our friend Hank Johnson, who is pastor at Harrisburg BIC Church in Pennsylvania. Welcome, Hank. And why don't you just tell us a bit about who you are, your connection to Jesus Collective, and then just jump right in. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a joy and privilege to be with you all. Um, it's been a joy as hard as this last year has been. Um, Jesus Collective has been kind of my balm in Gilead. It's been fun to be able to connect through weekly prayer, um, also through the different workshops and summits. I've enjoyed being a part of a hub, which is a chance to fellowship and learn together. And recently I accepted an invitation graciously to join um, what I think is amazing theology circle as we try to answer some of these questions of what does Jesus-centered theology look like? And I think last month I came on as a member. So um, we're doing a lot with Jesus Collective, but even more than we're doing, we're being blessed. So very, very grateful for that. Um, this morning, we're going to talk about earth as it is in heaven. I'd like to invite you to hang out. You know, we'll have a little Q&A time after. And then also, I think we're coming back for an after show. So I wanted to kind of just lay some of the foundation down of what it means on earth as it is in heaven. For me, this actually began years ago. I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine, Paul, and we were ruminating on the, the genius of Jesus. I know it's shocking to you, but it's shocking to me that Jesus is a genius. And one of the things we kept pointing out is how Jesus is so great as a teacher and his ability to start where we are and then to take us to where God desires us to be. We see it in his sermons where he'll say like, you think um, this is what prayer is like, but actually this is how I want you to pray. You think this is what love is, but this is how I want you to love. You think you understand who God is, but this is really who God is. We see it in his conversations as well. You know, one of the famous conversations he has with Nicodemus where he's like, Nicodemus, you're a teacher of Israel. Like, how do you not understand born again? When people enter into the Jewish faith, you call them born again. When people enter into Greek families, you call them born again. So how can you not understand what it means to be born again in this new life I'm bringing? And of course, we see it in the parables, right? I had a great mentor who said, these are earthly stories with heavenly meanings. So, so that idea has always stuck with me because when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, he's starting with something we understand and then taking us to where God desires us to be. So my friend Paul and I were talking about you know, all this stuff. And Paul says, you know, what if Jesus is serious? And I was like, serious about what? He's like, on earth as it is in heaven. And I started thinking about that. And I realized that was the origin or the genesis of probably this message is because I got to this idea. It's like, what if Jesus meant it? You know, what if Jesus meant on earth as it is in heaven? And this is interesting because when you look at the kingdom of God, that's actually the centerpiece of Jesus's teaching. You know, if you were to look and say, what did Jesus teach about the most? It's not love. It's not even living or how to live. Um, it's not even how to perfectly follow God. It's on the kingdom. And when he talks about the kingdom, he talks about how the kingdom is coming and it's already come. So when we think about on earth as it is in heaven, is this invitation for us to live for tomorrow today? I think this is important because Gordon Fee has this quote where he says, we are the community that lives the life of the future in the present. 
So when we think about on earth as it is in heaven, it's impressive or it's impressed upon us to hold on to it as our DNA. What's DNA? Um, is this active um, present in all of living organisms. DNA is the main constituent of your chromosomes. It carries your genetic information. So in theory, what I'm presenting here is this idea that, you know, on earth as it is in heaven is the essence of who we are. Right. And if it's the essence of who we are, another facet of DNA is that it's self-replicating material. So not only is the essence of who God calls us to be on earth as it is in heaven, it also must be what we're living to reproduce. And there's no better story, I don't think, to kind of flesh this out for us of what it means to be the church than to go to Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost is this great reminder to us of not only the Holy Spirit coming down, but God fulfilling promises. This is a great reminder to us that God doesn't just desire us to be a local, individualized church in faith. Even this morning, we're joining from countries around the world, but God calls us to be this multicultural kingdom. So as you read um, in Acts 2, 1 to 13, if you got a chance to follow the slides, it's great. If not, I invite you to read it um, now or read it later this afternoon. But as you look through this passage, you see this birth of the church and you see this essence and this self-replicating material that we have to be, which is on earth as it is in heaven. The backdrop of the story is that Jesus's earthly work is done. He has left heaven. The one who was born in radiance has taken on skin. The one who lived for eternity has entered into a time and place. He's lived to show us how to live to please God. He's loved to teach us how to love and the power of that love. But Jesus has also died on Calvary's tree. He's gone up to show us that the blood that flowed there matters even more than the blood that flows in our veins. He's resurrected onto new life. And after Jesus is resurrected, he actually spends 40 days after the resurrection teaching the disciples about the kingdom, teaching them about what is to come and who he calls them to be, but also promising them the Holy Spirit. Now, the disciples are kind of like us, you know, and they're just like, wait, what do you mean? Is this going to be your elevation of, of, of Israel? Uh, and Jesus says, no, 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 you will be baptized by the Spirit. And in Acts 1.8, he has this great verse where he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, reminding them that, yeah, when the spirit comes down, it's going to come down for the world. And so the, the end of the backdrop is Jesus ascends into heaven. Matthias is chosen as a disciple and about 120 are awaiting this coming of the spirit. Now, Jesus again, and God is going to start where we are. And where we are is important here because what Pentecost happens is that happens at something called the Festival of the Weeks. Festival of the Weeks was part of the three major celebrations. They had Tabernacle, they had Passover, and they had a Festival of the Weeks. And what I love about the Festival of the Weeks is it was a Thanksgiving for coming through the harvest season. It was a Thanksgiving for God's provision, but it was this twofold Thanksgiving of like, God, we thank you for providing for us, but God, we're also trusting you to always keep providing for us, which has actually changed how I think about Thanksgiving. You know, giving thanks to God for what he's provided, but Part of Thanksgiving is also trusting God for the future. Why is this important? This is important because this usually, this festival of the weeks happened 50 days after Passover. And it was a, a worldwide thing that would happen in Jerusalem as God-fearing Jews from all over the world would gather to the city, to the temple to praise and worship God. And, and I think Luke does this on purpose and let not be lost upon us that and in Passover, when they would come into Jerusalem, they would celebrate the Exodus, right? They would celebrate God pulling people out of slavery, but they would also celebrate Moses going up the mountain and coming down with the law that taught him how to live. In this backdrop, we also see in Pentecost that instead of Moses going up, it's Jesus that goes up, right? And the spirit comes down to teach us a way to live. So the essence of who we are is the birth of this church. So the spirit comes down. Jesus's promise is fulfilled. People are baptized and, and they're baptized not just in the spirit, but for kingdom work. 
And in the very beginning, you see that the church that's birthed is a church of every nation, every tribe, every tongue. God-fearing people from every nation of the known Jewish world comes. William Barclay, I think, has this line where he says, Jerusalem becomes international, cosmopolitan almost. You have tens of thousands of miles represented. You know, a quick search to do is to pick up all these different places that are mentioned in Acts 2. If you go to the northeast, you'll see Parthia, Mesopotamia. You go west, you'll go to Rome. You go south, you go to Arabia, Egypt, and Libya. So all of the known world is gathering. And I love that when the spirit comes down and the people start speaking the wonders of God, everyone hears it in their own language. See, this is important because those of us who live in the West don't necessarily understand this because our default language is English. That's our only language. But people in those days, for example, a Jewish person might have uh, spoken Aramaic at home. They might have gone to school and learned um, uh, Hebrew. And then to live in that Greco-Roman society, they might have a, a working knowledge of Greek. So the fact that they heard it in their birth tongue is amazing to me. But it's also a reminder to us that God will reach us where God will reach us. And what I mean by that is think about David real quick. David, when he understood God, he understood God as a shepherd, as a king, and as a warrior. And what was David? A shepherd, a king, and a warrior. So this birth language, for those of us who only speak English, is a reminder to us that those things that matter to us the most, God can reach us there as well. And I think Luke in this passage is intensely reversing Babel. Remember the story of Babel? They had a common cause, a common language, and they wanted to build up to heaven. Yet at Pentecost, what we have is people gathered by God into one place and then sent out. So it's this reminder to us that our essence, our DNA, is not just hear the wonders of God, but to go and tell it to our everyday scenes. Because only you can speak to the people you speak to. Only you can reach the people you can reach. But all of us are thought to not just be built up by the Spirit, but be built up and receive the Spirit so that we can go out. Now, Pentecost is not just our, our, a way to view our DNA. It doesn't just birth the, at the church in its essence. But I also think it reveals who our parents are. And I think our parents as church is, is God the Father and, and the Holy Spirit. Because from our God and Father, we learn that God so loves the world, that he makes it possible for all the world to hear his message and to go out and cause us to keep going out. We learn that our God is an artist God who, yeah, we're beautifully diverse, but he brings us together into this beautiful, even more beautiful mosaic of every nation, every tribe, every tongue. We learn again that our God is a covenant God, a God who fulfills promises. We learn that our God is the rescue God, who doesn't just pull us out of Egypt, who doesn't just pull us out of sin and darkness, but literally redeems us so that we can go out into our world. We learn that our God, even when he has his presence and his temple is built, wants that temple to be a light of the world and wants a house of prayer for all the nations. We learn that our God so loved us, he sent his son. We learn that on earth as it is in heaven is the work God calls us to do. But how is this work done? And I think that's where the second parent of the church comes in, because the, the Pentecost reveals that the birth of the church is not just the plan of God the Father, the work of Jesus that he's accomplished to make it possible, but it's also the work of the Son, because the Spirit is what enables us to live lives of holiness. The Spirit is what even changes our mind and convicts us and pulls us into knowing who Jesus is and what God has done. The Spirit then is the one who enables this life of holiness. It gives us freedom from bondage. That lets us know that no matter how many defeats we face, victory is around the corner. That lets us know that no matter how we feel addicted and afflicted, we can know salvation and be set free. And the Spirit that sets us free then empowers us to do kingdom work.
And I love that what Pentecost points us out to do, we think about on earth as it is in heaven. We think about what the church looks like. It's got to be a multicultural place of every nation, every tribe, every tongue. And that's the work we've got to be doing. But I love that the spirit is alive, but it's alive in you. I think that's lost on us. David, the man after God's own heart said, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Yet this Holy Spirit now comes down, not only in Pentecost, but to live in you. And what a power we have access to, because Paul in his letter to the Romans reminds us that the same power that lived in the, 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 the raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that now lives in you. In Ephesians first, he says, you know, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms. In Romans, he says it like this, but if Christ is in you, even though through your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. Righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. The Holy Spirit is alive, but it's alive in you. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that ushers us into the world. And if we're living in light of Pentecost, it's the same power that enables us to be able to unite as one in Christ Jesus. And that Holy Spirit also then not only unites us and has that same power, but it transforms us into the image of Jesus Christ. So Corinthians, Paul writes, now the Lord is the spirit. And what the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate and reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with an ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. When we think about what it means to be on earth as it is in heaven, I think the foundational thing has to be for us. Do we reflect the birth of the church? Do we reflect a church where people can come from every nation, every tribe, every tongue? Do we reflect a church where there's space, not only for everyone, but a space for people to interact with God in their own love language, in their own heart language? Do we reflect a church that doesn't just have us dreaming of heaven to come when we'll all be united as one, but are we reflecting a church that shows unity today? And I live in America. And here in America, one of the most defining things of this country has been how we are built to separate. And I think if we look at Western culture as a whole, one of the most defining things is that we're meant to be individuals. And maybe those of us who are, are more gracious, we can be not just fully about ourselves, we can be about me and mine. But what God calls us to be is this multicultural kingdom that's willing to not be about me, but be about us. So my challenge to us this morning, as we think about what does it mean to be a multicultural kingdom that God has called us to be, is to remember that this is our essence. This is our DNA. This is who God calls us to be, which means that if we're not being this kind of church, are we being the church? So what do we do? I think there's five things I want you to hold on really quickly. And I think there's one of them. Live your life to go and tell what God is doing for you. Only you can reach the people you can reach. Only you have those relationships and simply live to tell what God has called you to do. Because if all of our life is meant to be a witness, and it is, then it means that how we live, how we love, how we talk, how we pray 
How we interact with the people in our everyday scenes is a chance to go and tell what God is doing to us. The second one is I think I want us to, to be committed to prayer. As they waited for the coming of the Holy Spirit, they were committed to prayer. And if prayer is not just talking to God, it's truly communicating with God. It means that we need to listen to God and listen to his prophets and listen to scripture and listen to those people who are pushing us to usher in this kingdom where we live globally and also where we live locally. The third thing I would say is we need to be committed to learning our faith and passing it down. Learning our faith and passing it down because what we learn and how we're filled by the Spirit is never only for us, it's for our world. And the last one I would say is just simply this, join the local work. What is your heart language? What has God called you to do? What breaks your heart because the world is not as it should be? Because here's the beauty of our God. If you follow those passions and submit them to Christ, if you take your gifts and submit them to Christ, if you let those things that break your heart and give them to Christ, and if you ask for the Lord's direction, you will usher in this kingdom of God. We talk about the multicultural kingdom. Everyone is so overwhelmed. Well, how do we do diversity? How do we do all this? I think we do it by being faithful. I think we do it by holding on to our DNA and our essence. I think we do it by committing to being the church we were created to be. It's not just a home, but it's also a hospital of being the church that doesn't just seek to be a light where we are locally, but a light of, to all the nations. And lastly, that we are willing to surrender to the spirit so that we are transformed to the image of Jesus Christ, that we're willing to live in love like Jesus and that we're willing to always trust and give thanks to our Father. On earth as it is in heaven, it's not just living for tomorrow, it's our work today. God bless you all. All I can do is snap. Amazing. There's so much there, so much good stuff. And I'm so glad this is not the end. We get to unpack some of these ideas together. We're thankful that over these three weeks for Jesus Collective uh, teaching series that we have our friends from Woodland Hills joining us as well. So today we have Greg Boyd, pastor from Woodland Hills here, as well as Hank will continue to unpack that amazing unpacking from Acts and what you know the DNA of the church looks like in us and to pass it along. So I guess, Greg, I'll start with you. Why is this message good news? Welcome. Hank, that was a dynamite message. I just want to say, I, I, I loved it. Uh, that, was, that was really anointed. Uh, this is good news uh, because if you think about it, it, everything that makes life miserable has to do with our divisions. We can't live with each other. We are our tribalism, mm-hmm. our nationalism. Our, in America, we're built for division, as, as Hank pointed out. And um, it's not, a, it's not a, a, a problem we can fix on our own. If we could fix this on our own, we would have fixed it by now. Uh, history mm-hmm. is a merry-go-round of the cyclical violence that reflects the fact that we're divided. There's walls between us, and we can't fix it on our own. But Jesus on the cross uh, provides the one solution that, that, that we have. Um, uh, Ephesians 2 says that uh, when he died, he created in his own body one new humanity and tore down all the dividing walls of hostility. Praise God. And as Hank pointed out, mm-hmm. our job is just to manifest what Christ has already done. I love your emphasis on the Holy Spirit, too, because it's not about our own effort, like we're going to just work hard and, and unify the world. No, it, it, it takes, on earth as it is in heaven, that takes heaven coming down here. And, and your emphasis on yielding to the Spirit and the power that raised yeah. Jesus from the dead is the same power that can tear down the walls that divide us uh, and how desperately we need that. So this is good news to the church. It's good news to the world. It's the essence of, as Hank pointed out, it's the essence of, you know, heaven is not this pie in the sky when you die by and by. 
Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's supposed to be manifested right here and right now. Uh, maybe, maybe not perfectly. Uh, we're in this already not yet kind of stage, but the job of the church is to be a sneak preview of heaven and uh, to put on display what will be true later on. And so, Hank, I just loved it. I, I think that hits the heart of what the gospel is all about. Uh, it, yep. It's not just about racial reconciliation. It's about class reconciliation. It's about every kind of reconciliation there is uh, that uh, d- d- divides people. Uh, but um, praise God, the solution is found in, in Jesus, what Jesus did and what the Holy Spirit is doing in our hearts right now. Yeah, I love that, Hank, too. You sort of used the line, like, do we reflect as a church what heaven will look like? That being the hard question that we ask ourselves. And so why is, I mean, that's good news when we think about the church, but as Greg just said, it's good news for the world. If you want to just touch on that idea. Yeah, no, it's, um, um, so I, I used to have this joke about how we think about heaven, you know, we're going to split it up. It's just like, we the Anabaptists, we're the holy ones. We'll be up front, you know, and everyone else is off to the side. Maybe we'll let some Southern Baptists in, we'll keep them in the back, right? Um, but part of my transformation on all of this was realizing that like, oh, wait, no, we're all together, <laughs> you know? So I think that was the first spot, right? Um, but then the growth of it is this idea then of like, you know, not only is this good news, but we can point people to Jesus. And as Greg pointed out, in our country anyway, we're defined by all these differences, right? So if we're then gonna surrender to the spirit and build life and do life together, we not only break these walls of division, you know, Jesus says, they will see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. Um, I try to do a lot of good, but I found in my life and witness, the most good I've done is when people see these walls broken down and true love between sisters and brothers who come from different works of life and who come from different experiences and who are even different races. So I think this is very, very important for us to know that heaven's not what we're supposed to dream for. Like heaven's what mm-hmm. we're supposed to work for now. And if Jesus always comes down, like if heaven always comes down, then I think the, the, the onus on us is Jesus has only left the spirit and the church. That's it. You know, we believe right, Jesus we are the is options. in heaven. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. it's us, you know, like I think our God is humble and amazing that he chooses us, but like he's left the spirit in the church. So so this is why I think this work is so important. It's our essence, but part of DNA is self-replicating, right? So this is what we should be reflecting and replicating together. And it'll make heaven a lot better if we used to it now. Can I write piggyback on that? Yeah. To emphasize just how, how central, how important this is. If you think about it, to take the American context, we've got tremendous racial problems here. We have systemic racism that's baked into the fabric of our society. Um, and, and, and all of that, all the, the chaos we're going through now and that we have been going through in American history is a result of the church not doing this. Mm-hmm. If, if the church had cared at all about manifesting the one new, new humanity for which Jesus died, and see, if Jesus died for this, that means this is an atonement issue, okay? So this is right up there with preaching the forgiveness of sins. It, 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 if this is atonement issue, that means it's heresy not to preach this and it's heresy not to live this out. And it is the number one heresy of the, the church in America. Uh, it, it, you could never, it, it would never have occurred to anyone to have transported all the slaves to America if they'd been thinking about the one new humanity. Uh, it never would have occurred to, to, to folks to massacre the, the native population mm-hmm. if we had been at all concerned with this one new humanity. And so, so yeah, this is absolutely foundational. And uh, uh, living it out, it's not, it's not a picnic. That's why we require the, the operation of the Holy Spirit to do it. There's a lot of work that's involved in this, but it's absolutely essential. This is as essential as preaching for the forgiveness of sins. It's, mm-hmm. it's, for, it's why Jesus died. It's a atonement issue. 
Well, if you um, like, I know we did the teaching notes. So if you look at these quotes, I kind of like summarize what Greg says, right? Yeah, Frederick Douglass was one of our greatest minds in American history, oh, yeah. right? world history, and he's like, you know what? This American Christianity, I don't really like it. Don't really think this is Jesus. Oh, yeah, 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 and then yeah. we went to Martin Luther King, who pointed out what 50, 60 years ago now that Sunday morning is still the most segregated time in America. And and the sad thing is, in twenty twenty, that's still true, right? But what I love is the last quote by Kelly Brown Douglas, and I think this is what compels us to to do this and do this work. And I'm just going to read it. She says, we must seize every opportunity in time to act in ways that make God's loving presence real in the time that is ours. Time is precious. It is precious, I believe, not because it is fleeting, but because it's filled always with possibilities of making real, which is most precious to us. That is the love that is God. So yeah, things are messed up. You know, it might not really look like Jesus and we're still separated, but if we're willing to seize the time that is ours and we're willing to exhibit the love that is God, God can work and move. So I just love that. So it's a little bit of hope, hopefully. Yeah, and I would think too, like we we are at a point where we cannot question, is division a thing? Like it is. It is a barrier. It is a, it is something that's there. It's not a question of if. It Pretty is. obvious. Right. So like you said, Greg, it's not a picnic. It's not easy, but it's worth the work as this last quote that you even just shared, Hank. So what are the benefits? Like, what are we going to see as a beautiful like illustration of what does this look like once we confront these divisions and these barriers? Hank, I'll start with you. Yeah, I think one thing we'll see is that we can actually bring heaven on earth. You know, I think there's a lot of people who, if we're honest, are living in hell. And part of the hell is due to our, our divisions. So I think that one easy benefit is that, you know, God becomes, I think, more real to you. So for those of us in the West, for example, who don't have to worry about our next meal, as we interact with and have relationships with sisters and brothers who are praying for God's provision, it's going to expand us as well. Because we're like, oh, I need to look at provision a little bit differently. And I think it's the same thing with racial division. Like if we're willing to say not just, oh, my brother is going or, or Hank is going through this, but it's not my brother is going through this. We're not able to, you know, we don't want to like say, oh, I'm going to take his experience, but that experience is able to shape us. And I think when we look at the Old Testament and the New, you know, a lot of us grew up in church. We love Micah 6, 8, right? And I think one of the pluses of this is that we get to please and honor God, right? He has shown you, oh, more than what is good, right? But to do God's justice, to love the way God loved and to walk in peace right? And that's peace with God, peace with brothers and sisters, peace with creation, and peace with yourself. That's what we're commanded to do. So I think one of the benefits is that, yeah, it's going to expand who we are for the better. It's going to expand our understanding of God. It's going to unite and bring us together. And lastly, it's going to be how we can live to please God and to heed the call that he's placed on us. Boom. That's good. So you already got your points, your sermon points. Oh, okay. later for that one. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if there's more. Okay. <laughs> really, yeah, Greg, I know Greg, really. we talked about before where it was like, how do we go move beyond even the like, I'm a Christian, so I'm supposed to. Like, I follow Jesus, so I know this is what I'm supposed to do to making it be real in us. Right. Yeah, it, it, often it starts as, as a supposed to. You know, God said it, so I have to do it. But you find out the joy and the power that's in it when you start to obey. You, you step on that boat, and, and, and walk in faith, and you'll discover kind of the, uh, it's always in your interest to die to your own self-interest and live for God's interest. And, and, and when you're living for God's interest, there's just an intrinsic joy in that. Uh, in First mm-hmm. John, it says that no one's ever seen God, but his love is made complete in us. And, and that word is talao. Uh, it, it comes to fruition. It finds its goal, its, its fulfillment. And what he's saying there is that people can't see God, but they should see God in us. 
and it's see God in us when 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 God's love is manifested, mm-hmm. and that love uh, is, is 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 present to the degree that that um, uh, it's overcoming obstacles. It, it, it's not the kind of love that's just ordinary. Everyone can just love your own homogenous group, but when you've got diversity there and you have to work through things, uh, uh, there's an intrinsic beauty there and intrinsic joy there. Um, and it's just liberating. You don't know how how limited your view of life is, and how limited your view of God is, uh, until you 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 come into relationships with people who have very different views. Um, as a white guy, you know, I, I uh, it was mid nineties. I think it's uh, when when you begin to uh, really realize that. Uh, not everyone in this world experiences America, in my context, it's America, the way I do. Uh, I, I'm floating in a realm of pri- privilege up here that I didn't even know I had. You know, just, you just assume everyone has this. But then you develop relationships with people that are, that are not white, and you realize that they bump into all sorts of things that you don't bump into. And they have all, all sorts of concerns and worries that you don't have to worry about. And that is just good. Like Your worldview gets opened up, and you relate to people who are, who are different from you. And there's a joy in that, a discovery in that. And, um, uh, yeah, it, it's it's... Uh, I, I, we are impoverished to the degree that we are just surrounded by people who look like us, think like mm-hmm. us, act like us, dress like us, and everything else. We are enriched to the degree that we are anticipating Revelation 7, where every tribe and every time they come together and they're worshiping God. And the beauty of that is something the world can't attain. Uh, and it is the mark of the kingdom. It's, 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 it's the Pentecost revealed. It's reversing Babel. I love that. <laughs> when, we feel, when people talk about how, you know, uh, you shouldn't have interracial dating or you should, whatever, I, I often say, well, you're just babbling. You're babbling because you're talking like <laughs> Babel was still valid. And, and it's not. Stop babbling. And let's. Yeah, I think for me, the, too, the, the action, the action word for me is intentionality. And I think it shows up in two different yes. ways. Right. When we think about how to do some of this stuff. I think it shows up in posture and discipline. The posture one is one I want to begin with. You know, I had a conversation with a 10 year old in my church and it, it blessed me more than sadly, more than anything has in a long time. Right. And here's a 10 year old who is able to look at her neighbor, who's one of her friends and say, wow, we are different. You know, we have different faiths. We have different life experiences. You know, she's a refugee immigrant. I was born here. You know, she's Muslim. I'm Christian. And she's 10, you know. And so I was sitting there kind of like scared of like, is she going to ask me how to save this child? Like, how do we, you know, how are we going to do this? But you know what her question was? Her question was like, how can I be a better witness and love my neighbor? Right. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. And this is a 10 year old. So for me, I think if we adopt that posture, right, like as far as I read in scripture, we don't save anybody. Like, as far as I'm concerned, I think it's the father who made the plan. I think it's the spirit who convicts. And I think it's Jesus who died. Like, we don't save people, but we can love people. So I think that posture of how can I love my neighbor better? And that was a much lighter, much more exciting conversation. She's taking notes. So I think posture is important. But then um, the second part of it has to be discipline. You know, my wife is, you know, when we had our first daughter, my wife was like, you know, I think it's really good that, you know, our kids are going to be able to see women in leadership, but it can't just be in church. You know, so my wife came on. She's just like, we're going to be intentional about what doctors they go to, what schools they go to. And she and then and it was a discipline. And the reason I say it's a discipline is because we didn't just be like, oh, that's a cool idea. We actually researched doctors and we would look at pediatric um, whatever. We'd be like, oh, nope, we only see one woman on staff. We're not going there. And so for some people, they could say that's legalistic. But for my wife, it was important that our daughters not only see women lead in church but lead in every aspect of life. So by the mm-hmm. time they come of age and anybody tells them women can't do anything, they would have life examples of women doing these things. So I think when it comes to in- 
intentionality by diversity is our posture and knowing the DNA and then being intentional about, you know, bridging the gap, you know, being intentional about what we consume, being intentional about who our relationships are with, being intentional about how we interact, being intentional about who we listen to. All those things yes. have to come with discipline, not just posture. Yeah, yeah. Which takes I mean, work, I mean, the I mean, discipline, the practice. Absolutely. That's yeah. a solid. That, 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 that's that, that, in terms of bringing about change. That's I think the most important word. Uh, if if you don't intentionally try to alter your life, you'll have the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and the the easy route is to just you know gravitate towards homogeny. Uh, it, it's more convenient. You know, people understand you. You know, and all of that. It takes intentionality to break out of the patterns that 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 we have already created in our life. The momentum we've already created. Uh, you know, it says Jesus. He, he went through Samaria. Um, and, and usually Jews uh, avoided that. They would go around it. But Jesus was intentional. And because there was a Samaritan woman there he wanted to talk with. Uh, he, 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 usually Samaritans and, 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 and Jews, they, they didn't cross paths very much. But Jesus made sure that he crossed paths. And so as you think about your life, uh, where can you intentionally alter some things where you might meet people who are different from you? Maybe mm. enter into relationships. Until there's relationships that are, I'm speaking for, specifically for white folks relationships that you trust to the point where so that it can alter your paradigm, alter your experience. When they, when they tell you that they're getting pulled over by the police, you can't just dismiss it like, oh, well, yeah, you're playing a race car, whatever. You trust these folks, and that is what then, then broadens your world and begin to enter, enter their, their experience, and they begin to enter into yours. It's really incarnational ministry, and um, I, I think it's absolutely essential. Uh, to Don't just let the default of what you've all been doing carry the momentum of your life because you'll just have the same in and same out. It, will just, it won't change intentionally uh, diversify your experience and uh, enter into relationships with people that, are, that uh, look different from you. Yeah, and that's looking at it from an individual level. But when we think about, you know, church as an organization or a broader group of people or a collection of individuals, Chad wants to know what are ways as this collection that we can be intentional in setting the table for diversity so that it becomes naturally part of our DNA, that this replicating part of who we are is diverse. Hank, I'll start with you. Well, the first one is prayer, right? Like, I think one of the things that prayer forces us to do is to take it out of our hands and literally place it in God's hands. And, and, and for me, prayer is a reminder that like, there's nothing I care about that God doesn't care about way more. And there's nothing I can do that God can't do much better. So I think commitment to prayer. The second one is kind of going back to that 10-year-old, right? Knowing who our neighbors are. A lot of times when we look at quote-unquote outreach, we look at like what we need to do to, to bring people here or what we need to do to show them God's love. Um, I think every church needs to do a demographic study. So for example, Chad, if you and I were going to go to be missionaries to Burundi, no missions agency or church group would send us without doing what? A demographic study, ethnographic study, geographical study. We need to know the people, their ethos, their values. We need to be able to meet them where they're at. So we need to know where they're at. Now, I think a lot of our churches don't do this. Like, And, and I don't know if it's because we're a more transient culture. I don't know if it's because we don't walk the church, we drive to church. But most of our churches don't know who our neighbors are. You know, so who's in your neighborhood? What is the racial makeup? What is the socioeconomic makeup? Do that work of knowing your neighbor. And then once you do that work of knowing your neighbor, then you can ask that question, well, how then do we love our neighbor? Because as you build up, right, if you get all this information and then you're you're doing it simply to spread the love of God, you're going to start building, you know, relationships. And the last one I would say is commit to partnership. The spirit is already partnering with your church. Look to see where God's moving. Um, we don't have to perfectly agree with everyone. Right. So I'll, I'll tell a quick example in our church. Every December we give away a bunch of toys. Right. 
the number one toy giving institution to us is the U.S. military, right? Like we don't necessarily agree with 99% of what they do, but like mm. every December they give us like boxes upon boxes of toys. And we're just like, you know what? This is for the community. We will partner with you to do this work, That's right? Funny. And they got mad at us the one year because they give us a bunch of guns and we're like, oh, we don't want any guns. And they're like, well, how do we give you toys without guns? We're like, oh, you'll figure it out. You have a whole warehouse, <laughs> you know? Um, so, you know, so it doesn't always perfectly seamlessly work out, but I would say, Pray and commit to prayer. I would say learn your neighbor and then love your neighbor. It sounds very, very simple, but I think that's a great way to begin. That's great. Greg. At the Woodland Hills, we've got uh, a number of partnerships that we have with the food shelf and with the daycare and other things that serve the community. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, and yeah, so ask what are the needs around you uh, and, and how can you serve them? And that way you get to know the neighbors, you get to find out who's there. Uh, the other thing I would say is that, that, um, it's really important to to ask the question uh, when if, if if your neighbor walks into the uh, church, will they feel welcome? Will they will they feel like this is a place where they, uh, not just in the abstract, but they in their in, in their mongness or blackness or Latino or whatever, that they would be welcome. And 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 here's where we have to ask the question: like, uh, um, what is your music communicating? Uh, what is your signage communicating? Maybe you need a bilingual, you know, signage. All those kind of questions to say, well, what can we do to make it inviting here? And to find that out, the best way to do that is, in fact, the only way to do this is, is to talk with them, have discussions, um, and, 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 and and find out who they are and, and where they're coming from. And, and uh, you know, do, do they speak English? Do they, you know, would it, would it help them to have uh, multilingual science and things of that sort? But all of that, it, it's, it's, you know, when we first started Willow Hills, uh, I, reconciliation was on the front burner from the start. And, and, and but I had this idea that if you just say, hey, everyone's welcome here and, and you know, Jesus died for all people, that all of a sudden this diversity would happen. Right. And it, it would didn't. <laughs> like that. Yeah. yeah. And it's because I didn't realize that, you know, how come, you know, two years into this, we're still 99% white. It's because I'm a white guy and I'm sitting at a white table and I'm saying, hey, everyone's welcome here to my white table. And, and, and it's like, you know, not, not, they're not interested in that. Uh, can they help set the table? Can they be part of that? So those are the kind of things that, really will help diversify uh, mm. your, your church. Right, when I even look like at the three of us across this screen, I think like we represent difference in demographic, geography, age, stage, gender, cultural background, like all those things where it's like the church can't be an optional be. place where we're all gonna feel welcome. Like it ought to be the place where when we walk in, we know we belong to yeah. each other. We are part of a family and we can do this together. Because you're right, if we don't intentionally ask those questions of what are we not saying or mm -hmm. what are right. we communicating through what we do or the way we welcome or the way we, we greet people or the way our music sounds, the way we run our studies um, or punctuality. I know it's something we even were kind of talking about at one point, like that being a very <laughs> varied thing across cultures, right? <laughs> you know, it, it, but it, it, we have to know going into this that it's going to cost something. It, it has mm. to be, everything in the kingdom costs something. The kingdom starts with our first drop of blood, right? Because we're all, all about replicating Calvary. And, and so one of the ways it's going to cost you is you have to be willing to, you're not going to get your way on everything. Uh, you know, they, they, you just can't, a lot of people just choose the church because it, it fits their, their style. They like that kind of music. They like that kind of preacher. They like, you know, we like it our way. And if you don't get it your way, you leave. Well, if, that's just going to create a, you'll be the church of all the people who like that, that kind of music and like that kind of preaching. There'll be a homogenous church. Um, you have to be, you know, and this is, takes training, uh, but, but you have to be willing to, 
you may not get blessed by this kind of song, but someone else is. So can you enter into it for their sake? You know, and, and so worship doesn't just become a, what do I enjoy? It's about an us sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And there's plenty of people who are not willing to, to, to pay that, that, that price or to take a risk. Uh, I, I, I'll just share this. What, we, there's one couple of that, and this is, I can repeat this, a, a lot of examples of this, but you know, they're all for re- re- reconciliation. Yay, a cheerleader up front. Hallelujah, finally, someone's preaching on reconciliation. And so this starts to happen. You begin to have more diversity in your church. And then a little sweet Susie starts to have you know, fond eyes for Charlie, who's from the, 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 the you know, black, black kid from the city. And all of a sudden, they're gone out to a nice, safe suburban church where, because they, that, that's risky for them. That was like, oh, she's going to date a black guy. And, and, and you, you have to be prepared to hit disappointments like that. Um, everyone's yay, yay, yay until actually, you know, it's going to say, okay, now it's time to step up and change some things. And some people aren't on board. But, but the church, it's not negotiable. It's, it's, you can no more not preach this and live this out than you can not preach about the forgiveness of sins. It's an atonement issue. And that mm-hmm. idea of worship, right? It's not just what we sing or what we dance or how we jump. So most people, when they yeah. think about David as a worship person, they think about him dancing into Jerusalem or writing songs. <laughs> right. But I think the best definition of worship maybe in scripture comes from David when he says, you know, I will not give to my God that which cost me nothing. You know, and I think uh, if most of us adopt that that mindset, and that's fascinating. I mean, we can talk about that forever, but like there's some people who believe that's where David, I mean, Abraham and Isaac happened. That's where the temple was built and that's where Jesus died. So I think it's very, very interesting that at that threshing floor of Arona the Jebusite, which the, the, the guy wants to give David for free, he's like, no, 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 no. I will not give to my God that which cost me nothing. So I think a lot of times we talk about costs, you know, we think about all oh, that we're losing, right? And I think it's more productive and health, positive to think about, oh, we're gaining, but I think it's probably best for us to remember that worship is that which costs us something. You know, mm. it, that's what makes it worth it. I will not give to my God that which costs me nothing. That's so really great. That's, I think the posture we can enter in with it. So, uh, Rob, a living sacrifice, Romans twelve and two, right? Amen. 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 And obviously, like you said, Hank, we can talk about this forever, which we get to, to, actually. We get to talk about this in the after party. So we're continuing our Jesus Collective series is going to continue all these conversations into the after party every week. So Hank, thank you so much for, you know, laying the groundwork for where we're heading for these next few weeks. And Greg and Woodland Hills for joining the panel discussion now, as well as the after party at noon. And Hank, you said one of the things we ought to do if we want to like be intentional at preparing the DNA in our church is to pray. So I just ask you to pray for us before I close up the service. I would love to. All right, let's pray together. Our fine God, we thank you so much that you are indeed the God of every nation, every tribe, every tongue. We thank you that heaven comes down. We see that in your word. We see that in your son. We see that even in your church. So God, we pray now that we may usher in and walk in this light of Pentecost, that we're reminded that you're a God who fulfills promises. We're reminded that you're God who baptizes us and takes our stories and our gifts and uses them to spread your word. So God, help us to go into our everyday scenes. Help us to go into our world with the posture, with the intentionality, of loving the way Jesus has loved us and of living the way Jesus has lived. And in doing that, Lord, help us to unite not only as one, but to unite as your church of every nation, every tribe, every tongue, to unite as not just diverse peoples, but one family together in Christ by the Spirit. In your holy and precious name, Lord, we pray. Amen. 
Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out JesusCollective.com where you can hear stories, find info about upcoming events and workshops, maybe even explore getting involved through partnership as a church or an individual leader. Listening is such an important part of our journey as an organization. So please feel free to reach out to us with your ideas and your feedback. Drop us a message on social media or you can email us at connect at JesusCollective.com. Here's to keeping Jesus at the center.